0: Whoever is running this e-commerce site needs fired. Get demoted. Yeah. we get fired. them the fuck out of there. This is unbelievable. You know, I think about if Steve Jobs saw this, he'd be like, what the fuck is going on here? This is how you're optimizing for consumer experience. This guy's got to scroll all the way down to quantity, per, below our best diaper experience ever, below sustainable, but how to find out how many you
1: get. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. All right, Moyes, I know we talk about Tapcart every episode. Tapcart this, Tapcart that, download Tapcart, sign up for Tapcart. The reality is apps are not for everybody, Okay. In fact, it's less about the revenue and more about the repeat customer purchase rate that you get out of having an app. If you have 15% or more in your repeat customer rate, then an app makes sense for you. If less than that, not much. And in fact, right now, if you go to tapcart.com slash limited, their team will literally model the incremental revenue that you will make from an app. So you wouldn't even launch an app without knowing you have revenue coming your way. So again, go to tapcart.com slash limited, and they will model it out for you. Okay, Nick, episode two, season four. We're back
0: already. We're recording this so early in the morning. You know, at Walmart, when they do these like all hands meetings, they make everyone get up and like dance a little bit and shout to get like the energy up. Do you want us to dance? Yeah, I feel like we might have to do that. (laughs) Okay, we got a killer agenda today. First is some conversation about Facebook cost caps, which I'm excited about because Facebook is the bread and butter for so many businesses that listen to uh, Limited Supply. Uh, The second is about Prime, the energy drink company. You've talked about Prime a bunch in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm just getting
1: to learn a little bit more about it. Who founded Prime? Uh, it was Logan Paul and KSI, but it's under uh, a brand umbrella. Okay, great. Yeah, I want to
0: talk a little bit more about that brand umbrella, and then we're going to talk about Honest Company. Uh, I did a deep dive into their revenue and into their balance sheet and what it looks like. Uh, I spent. I
1: think Honest Company, Allbirds, and I'm trying to and and Grove. Uh, Grove. Yeah, those are your three favorites. <laughs> You know, those are the ones that were like
0: growing up at the time that I was growing with Native, and they grew much faster than we did, and raised way more money than we did, and now are publicly traded businesses. Right. In a way that I'm like, um, so I'm enamored with and in awe of, and so I really like to follow their journey along. I think all of the CEOs, or you know, certainly with Allbirds and with Grove, which are both run by founder CEOs, I'm in awe of what they built. Like, you know, they went from nothing to running a publicly traded business with hundreds of employees. I've never had that journey. So I live vicariously through their 10Ks and I'm excited to go through it with you. Awesome. Well, Let's start with Facebook ads. I know you guys create landing pages for a bunch of businesses and then run, I think you run ads to those landing pages
1: at Sharma Brands. Is that right? We do for our internal stuff and we're about to start doing it for clients very shortly. You run ads for your internal stuff. Like, can you give me an example of like, like for Hooks, you're like, hey, uh, have us uh, use our landing page builder. Is that what you mean by that? So we have a couple of brands internally that we actually don't really oh, talk right. about. Okay. But for those, we run our ads internally. And so, yeah, I've got I've got a little bit of knowledge on cost caps. Not a ton, but excited to talk through it.
0: You know, I wanted to talk about cost caps because it seems like everybody in the world on Twitter is like, hey, you should be running Facebook cost caps. And literally every time I run a Facebook cost cap, it doesn't spend any money. I'm like, hey, my goal is a $30 CPA. I put in a $45 CPA cost cap. My budget is $10,000 a day. And it's like, hey, we spent $8. And all of the other ads that I've run spend in full and get me the you know $30 CPA I'm looking for. Yeah. What, how,
1: what, like You've done cost caps. Tell me about how they work. I have no idea how they're working. We do some cost cap. I've found that for the most part, very similar to you, you know, it doesn't really like perform that well. So for us, I'm not running these ads, but someone on our team is. So actually we couldn't even get this is for a new brand. We couldn't get ASC to work for the longest time either. And I believe it's because ASC runs off of the, you know, it's like the training of the pixel. So the less trained your pixel is, the worse it's going to do. So we couldn't get that to work. We started doing a bunch of like manual campaigns, the stuff that's not the fancy stuff. You know, we probably spent about fifty or sixty k that way. And then we started turning on ASC, and that started doing really well. You spent fifty or sixty k? Oh,
0: manual, like you know, running. Uh, pardon me, creating the ad manually.
1: Yeah, not on as ASC. To,
0: then created. Oh, then the pixel had been seasoned, and then you moved into ASC. Gotcha. Yeah. Got it
1: then we moved into ASC. And that started working and then we moved into cost caps and the cost caps are really interesting because our price that we put as the goal CPA is about nine and a half times higher than the CPA we actually want to hit. And it ends up being about, let's see if I do the math. Nine and a half times higher? So if your goal is $10, you put
0: $95.
1: Yeah, oh my God, no wonder it doesn't work for me. Then we get our CPA right around where we want it. So for example, you know we want this CPA around 80. We put 775 as our target and we get about $88. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. You're probably thinking like, oh, this is going to burn cash. Actually, because back in the day, I don't know if you remember cost caps like six years ago, if you, whatever number you put, it would hit that number. Well, let's say you put nine
0: and a half. So you said, I think 80 and you went to something like 700 or something like, uh, 775, 775. Does it spend your entire budget then? Or does it not spend your entire budget? No, it still doesn't.
1: Yeah. It doesn't fully spend. I mean, this entire campaign has a, I don't know what the budget is. Yeah. It has a high budget. It's just, it doesn't spend that much. The other thing that we found that worked earlier with cost caps is low daily budgets, high CPA target. So like setting up tons of ad sets with $20 to $40, for example, with the goal of hitting that $775 CPA. And somehow that combination works well to find those initial purchasers in cost caps before scaling it up. Can you repeat that again? You set up a ton of ad sets with a $20... Cost cap.
0: I'm sorry, $700 CPA, but $20 budget. It found a couple of them and then you scaled up those budgets. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. I'm going to go try them.
1: Yeah. You know, Facebook ads, like the ads platform nowadays, you know, people say like media buying is commoditized or the role of the media buyer is dead. I actually think the Facebook ads platform today is a lot like taking the SAT. It's not about how smart you are and how good you are at, you know, whatever it is, like running ads. It's about how well you know this specific platform because this platform changes so often and the media buyers that are really good, they understand, like like they can feel the vibes of the platform shifts and they know how to react in the technical side of the media buying. Whether it's like the way that ad sets are set up, the way that they break out campaigns, like basically the way I used to run ads when I started running ads is not how Facebook ads are run today anymore. It's completely different from like an account structure setup, from a creative testing setup, from a hook testing setup. It's completely different.
0: Okay, fantastic summary. Uh, I want to uh, talk about a few things you mentioned. First, I want to make sure everyone understands ASC means Advantage Plus Shopping Campaigns, which is a new Facebook ad feature that they launched in November that uses machine learning. To optimize audiences and creative in order to put the best creative in front of the best person in order to get a sale, and uh, they launched it in maybe even earlier than that, maybe September or something in beta. Uh, they slowly introduced new and new customers to it, and it's gotten better and worse in many ways. Like better in that it's gotten more sophisticated and smarter, I would say. Worse in that uh, when you were a- when you had access to it in the beta. You were fucking golden because nobody else had (laughs) access to it. So you were making a ton of money. I got so many thoughts about this. One is uh, so I like getting access to betas on Facebook is such an underrated thing. Someone once told me that, like, Dollar Shave Club, I don't know if this is true or not, Dollar Shave Club had early access to advertising on Pinterest. Like, no one even had the ability to advertise on Pinterest except Dollar Shave Club and Poshmark and a few other companies. They said Poshmark uh, was spending a million dollars a day. On Pinterest ads before anybody else had access to it because they had a monopoly on the ability to uh, advertise on Pinterest. Right. Similar, I remember Movement Watches was one of the first brands allowed by Facebook to advertise on Instagram. Like trying to get access to those things, and it's often just hey, uh, you hear that they that it's available, and you ask your rep. Doesn't always work, but sometimes it works. Uh, so I think the beta thing is really important to mention. Uh, Advantage Plus shopping campaigns. I couldn't agree more with what you said, which is you remember that dinner we were at after the Grow conference? I was sitting next to some guy, I forgot what his name was. And he's like, look, I'm hiring a Facebook. I'm hiring a media buyer. The first thing that I disqualify people with is saying, I can do this better than Facebook's algorithm can do this. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like You cannot do it better than Facebook can do it. But there is a little bit of, there's still a a lot of personal touch when it comes to these things. And it's beyond creative. Yes, creative matters a ton. And yes, you know, image or video matters. And that's still the most important thing that matters. But understanding account structure, when to start an ad and when to turn it off, because your gut, like how to scale it, none of these things are Facebook ad algorithm stuff. One of the accounts that I look at, like, you know, um, a bunch of people have given me access to their Facebook ad accounts, a bunch of brands that I've invested in, or people who I just meet on Twitter. And so I audit them pretty frequently. I think I've got access to 10 different ones. And by audit, I mean, I just go in and I'm like, what are you doing? I want to know because this is interesting. You know, what's interesting is a lot of them don't have one Advantage Plus shopping campaign. They will have five Advantage Plus shopping campaigns because in Advantage Plus shopping, they say you can put 150 ad sets in a single campaign. And if you do that, I found that like, you don't spend more than two ads ever on an Advantage Plus shopping campaign. Even two is a lot. Like usually if you have a if you have 10 in there only 2 will spend. If you have 20, 2 will spend. If you have 50, 2 will spend. It does a great job of putting a great ad in front of the right person, but it doesn't do it always a great job of saying this is the best creative that should be in front of this person. And th- this ad account that I'm thinking about, what they did is they they put the same creative in multiple different Advantage Plus Shopping campaigns, okay? They're like, "Okay, Campaign 1 will have these five creatives. Campaign 2 will have these five creatives. And Campaign 3 will have these five creatives. And all three of those campaigns will be the exact same creatives. And on Campaign 1, all of it will spend on uh, Creative A. On Campaign 2, all of it will spend on Creative B. On Campaign 3, all of it will spend on Creative C, even though all three are the exact same campaign. For some reason, one ad is spending on one campaign and another ad is spending on another campaign, despite it being the same audience and the exact same creative. And this is for ASC? This is for ASC, yes. Three different ASC campaigns with the exact same creative, three different ads that are actually spending. Like, you know, if you if you run a campaign and you've got it at $2,000 a day, let's say $1,000 a day, one will spend $950 and the other two will spend $25. The one that's spending $950 is different
1: for every single one of those campaigns, and I'm not sure why that's the case. I have a few thoughts. One is I think you're right on the money. Campaign structure is huge. Yeah. That's your thought. (laughs) yeah, Yeah. And the other one that I think is underrated is like truly audience testing. Because if you remember when, you know, back in 2014 to probably 2017, the biggest thing that worked really well was lookalikes. It was the ability to upload email lists, whether or not you got that email list in a kosher way. (laughs) But Facebook was, you know, sort of a immature platform in terms of what you could feed it. So you could, you know, most people would just give it your email list and say, hey, go build me a 2% lookalike. Then the smart people would take their email list in Excel, carve that up to make sure the email list that they upload has the exact traits of consumers they want, and then they would upload it. So then that got, you know, that was basically bread and butter for a long time, up to the point where everybody was, you know, big spenders started running 20% lookalikes. Then broad got really big, like just running broad Facebook ads, and that was probably like 2017, 18, 19, maybe 20. And it was just like you just throw the creative in, you go super broad, you play with bid caps and cost caps or just lowest cost, and you just fucking send it. You let Facebook figure it out and it worked. This is also the time when DPAs started to get really, really good and really accurate. And so a lot of brands started up, especially apparel brands, could just upload catalogs, run it broad. And Facebook had a separate machine learning engine in the DPAs that helped it really nail down and find purchasers. DPAs. Wow. What a throwback to the... Yeah. Ready ready for an acronym? (laughs) 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 DAVA stands for dynamic ad. It's basically DPAs that go completely broad. So my theory was that with what happens with going broad is basically think, Facebook sends a ton of, you know, little minions out to throw ads in front of people's news feeds, completely randomized people, and starts to look at what signals does it receive back, positive and negative. So it'll throw an ad to, let's say, you know, a thousand people, all different demographics, all different walks of life. It'll start to pick up on traits where, okay, this person liked the ad, that person clicked the ad, this person even went to check out you know, what are the common traits between these people? Oh, they all, you know, they all live in this area or they all tend to have these interests. Let's just start focusing the campaign on, you know, the interests of the people that are engaging with our stuff and continue focusing the campaign there. So it almost goes from this really, you know, in theory, it's broad. Broad is what you see when you're editing the campaign, but really behind the screen, Facebook knows exactly who it's going after. And that's why, it's maximizing the creative. I feel like that is what ASC does on steroids. So when you set up your ASC campaign, you don't really have much targeting parameters you can add. You only have a couple, and I think it's literally just the country, but um, ASC does this really well where when your pixels trained, you can basically feed it creative and it just immediately it goes from thinking broad down to okay, we're going after women who are 35 to 54, who watch Hulu, and they spend time here on these, you know, 25 sites. And it goes in really hard. That's why I think people set up multiple ASC campaigns. And technically, they're broad. But I think in reality, Facebook has them very niche down. And that's why different creatives work well for these different ASC campaigns.
0: You're exactly right. When you say broad on ASC, it's not actually broad. It's still niche because Facebook knows who your customer is. So broad is just like a misnomer. And that's a great point. I'm still surprised that you can set up three different ASC campaigns and get three different ads to actually spend a lot of money. That still surprises me. Because like, I agree that it goes niche, but how come it doesn't go niche and say, okay, you want women who watch Hulu. You want women who are uh, NASCAR moms. You want women who are soccer moms. Across the one ASC campaign, it says this one
1: is for soccer moms only. This one's for NASCAR. Moms. I don't know why it does that still. Yeah. You would think they would do that because then people would just, you know, load budget into it uh, much faster, probably.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I would be like, okay, let's start one campaign, make it $25,000 a day and put 150 creatives in here and just spend a bunch of money. I've got a few other questions and comments around this. One is, I don't know for ASC campaign, like ASC, you're right, there's no targeting. You just put in uh, the country. There's no gender or age targeting, which is unlike other types of Facebook ads. But the one thing they do is they do let you exclude other audiences. Like you can basically say, here's a list of my customers, do not advertise to them. And then you can set a percentage of your budget to advertise to them. Like you can say, okay, I'm spending a thousand dollars a day, spend one percent of that thousand dollars or spend 10% of that thousand dollars to advertise to my existing customers. I've asked around and people are like, oh, I like to set that uh that that percentage to five percent. Like don't spend more than five percent basically on my existing customers. I've actually found that having no limit there, spend as much as you want on my existing customers is the best. Thing you can do for your CPA. I've seen that uh, across a couple of brands that I've looked at. I'm not sure if that's true across the board, but basically setting your exclusionary audience to zero. I'm sorry, having no exclusionary audience percentage, not zero, not 5%. Let Facebook spend as much as they want to a retargeting campaign versus prospecting.
1: Let Facebook take care of that. I think it's the same, right? Like I think the, the benefit, uh, just like the benefit of going broad, In your ads is that you basically start with the widest blanket and you let Facebook narrow in doing it that way. One, it still gets you to the same consumer. Like the the ad engine is incredibly smart. If you think TikTok's for you page is smart, Facebook's ad engine is a hundred times smarter and they don't even use it to its full potential. I think it's capped at being used at 5% because they don't want people to be, they don't want people to think it's too creepy. And I think 5% is actually the right number. You guys put a 5% uh, on the existing audience budget? No, I'm saying when Facebook runs these ads, they only use 5% of the knowledge they have to target because of how strong their ad engine is. Going broad to let Facebook then niche down keeps your CPM very low. Whereas the more parameters you add, it's like there's two paths somebody can go. Going broad is like taking the ramp up a light hill and so there's there's low CPMs. The other path is like, you got to take really steep stairs. And all of a sudden, your CPM gets jacked up. The more things that you have, the more exclusions you have, the more rules you have. I think always just letting it figure itself out is the right way to go. It's the cheapest way to go, definitely. I've seen that number be anywhere from 5 to 20%. But I'm definitely a fan of not putting a number there for a couple of reasons. One is it stays low. The second is there is nothing better you can do for your ads than have existing customers jump in and comment on the ads and talk about how amazing the product is. Or better yet, when somebody has any doubt in the comments, existing customers jumping in and replying to their doubt with their experience of how good the product is, that is chef's kiss of social proof. It doesn't get better than that. Yeah, you've almost created a
0: for your own forum on a Facebook ad that's attached to a Facebook ad of people talking about and endorsing your product. And because you can hide and delete and ban all of the people who say bad things, you just have a forum where people love your product, and you know people who are thinking about considering or considering purchasing it are like, "Wow, I really love Mad Happy Hats."
1: Exactly, and and don't forget it's hide, block, delete, <laughs> <laughs> HBD. Oh, yeah, the. Uh, it does exactly that. It's the best way to describe it. It creates a mini forum, especially for consumable products where people have like repetition attached to it and they know more and more about it every time they've used it. It does really well. I remember for Hint, the way we used, to, we used to get so many comments about plastic. And so what we would do is we would even run some of the ad creative to existing as a uh, yeah, Facebook to engagement comments. campaign. Yeah. yeah. And then we would run it prospecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that as well at Native. Um, Yeah,
0: that's really interesting. In fact, I I got a couple of comments about about what you said earlier. One is the lookalike audiences, man, those were so golden. I miss those days. Golden. Did you ever used to swap lookalikes with other people? I tried to once do it with Ezra Firestone. You didn't have to swap. You could just share on uh, Facebook, right? You could share your audience on Facebook with another ad account. I tried to do it with Ezra because I was like, hey, we both have women over the age of like, you know, 40 or 50 really as customers. Let's swap. He wasn't game, you know. I don't know why, but that's perfectly fine. So I never did that, and now I'm like kind of glad I didn't because our audience was so golden. But what really worked for me was lookalike, who had purchased twice. Like one time, I talked to Facebook, and I was like, "Hey, I'm trying to make a lookalike audience," and they're like, "Look, the golden parameters of lookalike audiences are ten thousand to thirty thousand people that you upload, and we make a lookalike based on those ten to thirty thousand people. Under ten thousand people, we don't have enough information." Over 50,000 people, it looks like everybody else. Like at one point we had, you know, Native had a million customers and I tried to create a lookalike off of it. And they're like, this lookalike looks like everybody on Facebook. You have a million people on this list. Like, you know, this isn't helpful. So they're like, the golden rule is 10 to 30,000. So what I would do is I'd say, okay, I want to create a lookalike audience based on people who've purchased twice or more than twice because these people love the product. And so then I uploaded that as my base audience or whatever it was called. And then I created a lookalike on it. And it was amazing. There was one time, I still remember this story, where I was spending $800 a day on this ad. And I was like, what happens if I increase this 10x? And I went from $800 to $8,000 a day in one, you know, overnight. Like I literally just added a zero and I was like, well, fuck it. Let's see what happens. Facebook did not skip a beat. Look, no increase in CPA. Like, I think it was a 10% increase in CPA. And the next day I was like, I am a god today. You know, I like, look at my revenue, baby. Okay. <laughs> You're just like, I'm going to be a billionaire. <laughs> Honestly, you feel completely invincible. I felt yeah. like Superman. I was like, someone bring a bus and I can stop it with my hand like this.
1: You yeah, there really was no high like a good Facebook CPA. Yeah,
0: that's so true. One other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, you mentioned that Facebook only uses five percent of the knowledge that they have, helping you target. There was this great New York Times article I read a long time ago where Target, the store, was doing something similar, where they would start advertising to you, Nick, and be like, "Hey, buy," like, "Let's say uh, you're you're an expecting mother. They'd like buy diapers," and people would come in and be like, "How do you know I'm pregnant? This is so fucked up," Uh and. One father actually, uh, got, you know, came into Target and started yelling at the employees because they're like, "Look, you keep advertising baby products to my daughter. She's 17. This is so inappropriate. Fuck you guys!" And then he came in like uh, two weeks later and he apologized. Turned out that his daughter was pregnant. Target knew before his father wow. before the father knew. Because Target had like so much information and they were doing like, they were so good at this. So, what they started doing is they're like, okay, we need to advertise baby products next to a big screen TV. So, it doesn't look like we know that you're pregnant. We're taking this to the next level. We know you're pregnant, but if we advertise only baby products, you get upset. So, we're going to put a big screen TV next to a bunch of diapers. So, you don't know that we know that you're pregnant, but you still see the diapers and that's what you want. So, you come into our store to purchase. That's amazing.
1: I wonder how they got that data either like web retargeting data or there's actually this whole world of like data brokers and just data you can buy, which I feel like is about to get bigger and bigger with the growth of like chat GPT and, you know, proprietary data is going to be the new currency there. So I'm very curious to see what happens there. But yeah, that is funny. Yeah, it was crazy.
0: Uh, So you use cost
1: caps. One thing you mentioned was cost caps and bid caps. Which one do you guys experiment with more? Uh, we use both. So like we use, we use the manual stuff, just lowest cost. Then we use bid caps and we use cost caps and we use advantage plus Plus. and all three are running and all three are doing like pretty good. I would say, I still think regardless of the campaign setup, like it's, it really does still come down to the creative and testing a bunch of hooks. Generally, if you can get creative with a certain hook to work in one, you can sort of make it work in the others the budget's not going to be the same. Like You're not going to be able to spend the same amount of budgets across the four types of campaigns. One or two are going to spend majority and the other two will sort of just be there and and um, try to spend as much as they can. But, but yeah, we run all four at the same time. And you said cost cap
0: was 9.5x your goal CPA, right? Yeah. And how does bid cap work? Can you talk a little bit about bid cap and then we'll move on to uh, the other subjects? I'd love to understand this.
1: To be honest, this is for my own edu- education. For us here, again, the bid the bid control is also about nine and a half times. It looks like right now we're testing it with a really small budget, though, and we're using the Advantage Plus placements. Got it. Okay. So you're using Advantage Plus placements with a bid cap. Correct. Okay. Got it. And then only two creatives in the actual ad set. This is
0: something I want to get into in our limited supply Slack channel, which is what are people doing here that's working? Like, are they doing more bid caps, cost caps? We're just letting Facebook do it all. And then uh, if they're doing all three of them, where are they spending more money? Because I still don't understand this well enough. Like I'm still in the 2015 mindset of you let Facebook do this. Bid caps and
1: cost caps are the same thing as you try to be like, let me do lookalike audiences now. Some of these ad sets have spent 99% of the budget on one creative and like a couple dollars on the other. And I think it's because there's like this unspoken rule of uploading creative into Facebook where once it recognizes a piece of creative, Facebook won't separate how good that creative is from testing it against new and fresh creative. So for example, if I upload you know, video one into an ASC campaign or a manual campaign and it's doing really well, and then I upload the same creative one, I just choose the exact same video ID into another campaign, it's going to give the creative one the majority of spend because it knows it performs well elsewhere in campaigns. Got it. Okay. That's interesting. I got to go research Facebook ads. The thing is, is like, I've always felt like there's no real, there's no like Bible of how this works. There's no manual of this thing. It's like all just sort of like feeling things out. A lot of it is gut feeling or intuition based on how the ad platform reacts to what you do. None of this is documented, and I think that's sort of uh, one of the things that Facebook just does. They never document any of these changes. The funny part is like they'll tell their product marketing team, like, "Hey guys, we want to push these types of videos." So, you know, go tell your client, and then the reps are telling you to push this, but it's like completely different than what actually works. I've always found that whatever
0: they're pushing, they're pushing six months or like three to six months before it starts working. Like they'll yeah. be like, push. Story ads, and I was like, I tried that, they don't work. And then, like, three months later, they're on fire. And I was like, okay, now they're working. Yeah. Uh, di- same thing with dynamic product ads. I-, I was like, you know, I tried it, it didn't work. And then uh, three months later, I'm like, okay, we're starting it again. I'm trying it a second time. And I'm like, okay, now they're working.
1: Yeah. Also, just try <laughs> whatever your Facebook rep says, just try the opposite too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your Facebook rep is like Jim Cramer. Okay. Just try the opposite. And a lot of times it works. <laughs>
0: I saw this Reddit meme yesterday where Jim Cramer, like in 1912, is like, this ship is unsinkable pointing to the Titanic. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, He's been wrong for
1: a hundred years. All right, Moyes, you know, Kevin, who started Glamnetic? Yeah. So I texted him today because I'm like, we talk about TapCard all the time. So I texted him. I was like, yo, do you guys use TapCard for Glamnetic? Does it work well? And he said, they've had TapCard for the last few years. It works great for the most loyal customer base. It helps with a ton of product drops and they leverage the push notifications a bunch. Overall, the LTV from someone who downloaded Tapcart is much higher than non-app customers. So then I said, you know, what is it like for app setup, upkeep, maintenance? Is it easy to do? And he said, overall, super easy. Didn't take long to set up. For strategy, we layer it into our overall marketing strategy to make sure we're maximizing value. And the upkeep maintenance doesn't really take much time either. That's awesome. Yeah. I think everyone who's thinking about TapCart is always like, what do I have to do to get my own mobile
0: app? Like, do I need to design it? Do I need to get some guy to wireframe this app and then pass it along to TapCart along with colors and fonts and all that kind of stuff? Right. And it's way easier than that. You pass, like, you know, TapCart is able to lock into your Shopify store and download
1: most of the design that they need. So, lift is way lighter than you would be. Totally. And right now, if you go to tapcart.com slash limited, you can sign up and they will model out your incremental revenue lift you will get from the app. So go visit tapcart.com slash limited. Okay. Let's move on to, um, let's move on to HonestCo, actually. Cause I'm
0: not sure how much time. I didn't, have we already talked about prime being owned by an aggregator?
1: I didn't, if we have, I don't think we have about it being owned by an aggregator. Or like, you know, not owned, but like- Or about like a holding company. Yeah, the reason I
0: looked this up is because there was this Wall Street Journal article about this uh, guy in the UK. His name is Mohammed Azar Nazir, okay? He's an uh, Indian brother. Look, like, you know, Prime is a sports energy drink that's like a competitor to Gatorade, uh, doing a, certainly more than $100 million in sales a year now. It's pretty easy to get in the United States as far as I understand it. I've never had it, uh, but it's really hard to get in the UK, so this guy, Muhammad Nazir, owns this shop in the UK, like in the Wall Street Journal article, it basically said that he spent four years in prison, figured out how to correct himself, and started this store, and then started importing Prime. His son wanted to get Prime drinks, so he waited in line forever to help him get a Prime Prime drink. Then he realized that there was so much demand for this product in the UK and no supply, so he started importing itself from the United States, and now his store is like packed. He's got a security at the door to ensure there aren't fights and he's becoming like a mini celebrity himself. People are like driving all over to the UK to get to his store, buy a Prime, and take a photo with him. And anyway, some guy on Twitter sent me this stuff, and it was like, hey, look, this brand is actually owned by two friends, Trey Steiger and Max Clemens. I mean, this is a hundred million north of a $100 million brand. They own a manufacturing facility that actually produces Prime beverages as far as I understand it. It's based in Louisville, Kentucky, These kids were both, they're both in their 20s. They met in high school and they started these brands and then they started recruiting influencers to promote these brands. So almost the, not the opposite, but a little bit different than what we talked about in our last episode about like having an authentic brand. These guys recruited, and maybe they're authentic people to the brand, but they recruited influencers or celebrities to get associated with this brand. So they recruited KSI and Logan To support Prime once they started making it, and they've done this in the past as well with another brand called uh, I don't know how to pronounce this Alani New. Have you heard of this brand? I've not. I linked to it in the podcast doc if you're in there. I've actually seen it at GNC.
1: I've had this protein shake. Oh, I have seen this. I've actually had this before.
0: Yeah, it's pretty unique packaging. It's really fun flavors in like uh, the protein shakes. Like I think they have cotton candy or like you know some stuff like that, like fruity cereal, munchies, stuff like that. I don't even know the celebrities behind this. What I thought was really like this protein shake, usually a protein shake is like 10 calories per gram of protein. So 20 grams of protein, 200 calories. This one is like 20 grams of protein and 140 calories. So I was a big fan of it. But they've done this in the past and they're basically like, look, we're, rec- we're creating beverage
1: brands and finding celebrities to be uh, the face of those beverage brands. This has to be one of the worst Shopify sites I've ever seen. And according to SimilarWeb, they're pushing about 600,000 monthly visitors. They're huge at
0: GNC. I think they're at Walmart. They're like, we don't give a fuck about direct-to-consumer sales.
1: Direct-to-consumer sales is not where we're going to make money. We're going to make money by going into brick-and-mortar stores. This is actually a perfect candidate for using buy with Prime on Amazon. Yes, yes. You know, like beverage, high retail velocity, high retail sell-through. C is not really a priority, as you can tell by their site. They And they probably don't want to push it because I bet the cost don't make sense with shipping and the margin between, you know, customer acquisition or even investing into the site. They should just run this straight to Amazon and they should funnel all their reviews right into Amazon as well. That's a great point. I couldn't agree more. You're absolutely right about those things. I'm on Prime's
0: website. It's literally every single product just says sold out, sold out, sold out. You can't even buy anything here. Just <laughs> click shop energy and it says everything is sold out. They're like, wow. get the fuck off of our website. <laughs> costing us server space. <laughs> are they at least collecting any info? No. These, wow. uh, these guys are like, look, we don't carry, uh, like,
1: please don't contact us. Yeah! Wow, one and a half million visitors on the site on Prime. Yeah, actually, yeah, I this remember a coming to the site and thinking this site sucks. Really, I think it's beautiful now. I'm not sure if you what? this is say the, the Prime one.
0: Yeah, drinkprime.com. Like yeah. this Dodger's Prime. I mean, there's no call to action at the top. Which yeah, is crazy. they're
1: just missing so many easy wins. Well, they're like they're they're not selling anything,
0: so they're like this is a landing page. Like, yeah. I, I mean, should they collect an email address? Absolutely. Absolutely. Should they be collecting phone numbers? Absolutely. They should have, like, you know, all of us sold out, contact us when we get more. This is when we're expecting to get more, all that kind of stuff. You're right in that it's not optimized in
1: any way. But, like, if you look at the product page, it does look pretty good. Like, this is better than I would expect Gatorade to look like. Okay. So, if you were to compare this site, thedrinkprime.com, to type in feastables.com, It is just night and day, and it's such a brand building opportunity just to like invest a little bit into a site. You're right. Yes,
0: you're right. I take it back. These guys are like they just couldn't care less. But anyway, the reason I thought about this, or I was so interested in this, is because I like you know I don't know anything about beverages. They're hard to sell. They're you know heavy to ship. I know that they're hard. I'm surprised that there is not a personal care brand. Do I'm not. I'm surprised there isn't a personal care manufacturer like Mary Berry doing this more often. Like, sort of saying, look, we are going to go find, and maybe there is, and I'm just not aware of it. We're going to go find celebrities and we're going to create skincare brands around that celebrity. And we're the manufacturer. Like, usually the people who do it are the celebrity and as somebody like you or me and the marketer. Right. I'm surprised there isn't a manufacturer with a marketer being like, look, we're making the product and we're going to recruit the celebrity and we're going to start small and get somebody who's like, you know, doing 250, who has 250,000 Instagram followers. And then slowly move uh, move up until we get the Logan Pauls.
1: I got an idea: me, you, Mary Berry, and a celebrity.
0: It's not a crazy idea;
1: it'll crush. Yeah, it's not a crazy idea. You know what the funny part is too? We could just launch with a two hundred dollars serum. People would be like, "Holy shit, I got to try this two hundred dollars serum."
0: Yeah, I think one of the ways to differentiate yourself is pricing. Certainly, like you know, our deodorant was intentionally priced super high because people are like, "Why is this deodorant?" 2X more than everyone else's. Let me take a look right. at it. I don't know what the right celebrity is, but I think this. I think that there is something there. And I think that might have been done, actually. Like, there's a uh, company, like, do you know Kristen S? Kristen S, no. It's a, a shampoo and conditioner brand found at Ulta and I think at, like, um, at Target. It did really well at Target. Oh, yeah. Like, I see this here. Um, and I think this brand was, like, incubated by basically some marketing people.
1: Yeah. Uh, There's was another the five, one yeah. called Lola V, L O L A V I E L-O-L-A-V-I-E.com, which is Jennifer Aniston's hair care. It's two founders who had worked with Jennifer in different capacities across different brands over the last maybe decade or so, and then decided they were going to launch this hair care together. And this has also just been a rocket ship.
0: Uh, that's awesome. I, I'm sorry. Uh, there's this. Uh, I'm going back to Kristen S. for one second. Uh, it was incubated by this brand incubator called Misa, MAESA, M A E S A. And there's a lawsuit against uh, between Kristen S., I think, and MAESA, the incubator. And it says in two years, Kristen S. Haircare was approaching 100 million in revenue, which is crazy because like haircare brands are really hard to support. And it says, on the heels of Kristen S's success, MISA followed launching influencer backed hair care brands, including Anomaly by Priyanka Chopra, Heritage by Mindy McKnight. I don't even know who those people. Uh, I don't know who Mindy McKnight is. And now there's a
1: lawsuit between them. And it says the filing claims that MISA has deprived S of creative control and ownership of her brand. Anomaly's site has 20,000 visitors, according to similar web, which is a shame given that Priyanka Chopra is probably. The most famous person in India.
0: Uh, it has 20 million uh, visitors. Isn't that a no, ton?
1: 20,000.
0: 20, oh, God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotcha.
0: Okay, yeah. See, she should have done this with us.
1: Yeah. That's she, who we I mean, this is
0: it. the worst website I've ever seen. I just got to pop. Oh, my God. It says Powered by OneTrust. It doesn't even work. This is the worst website I've ever seen. Like, this is worse than uh, Prime.
1: For sure. This is hilarious. Uh okay. <laughs> God. So one of the brands I worked on through MentorPass is called Karam MD. Have You heard of this one? Uh let me take a look at it. I think I K, go to K A R or K A R A M dot KaramMDskin.com. Okay, so this site, you know, it's not from a design standpoint, it's not anything like crazy. But This guy, he does these like facial, not surgeries, but like facelift surgery type things in San Diego. He's a legit doctor, but he's also like an influencer on TikTok and Instagram. He'll just like talk to his camera. He's got almost 400,000 followers on Instagram and on TikTok, he's got something around the same, maybe like 100,000, Wow, 150,000. And this guy does six figure weeks just off his organic following. No paid ads, insanely high margin. Although his products are actually phenomenal. Like I use some of his products. But another example of like influencer brand doesn't have to be a big celebrity. Yeah. But influencer brand, it's got the social proof. It's got all the elements you need from the influencer and works really well. Help him make some better packaging, for God's sakes.
0: <laughs> like this looks yeah, like it was designed by definitely be better. Yeah. By a brown guy who is up. Uh, like, you know, it looks like it was designed by a brown guy. And he's like, let's get this <laughs> stuff out of here. That's all, you know, I, I love when like doctors make brands like this because there's a lot more authenticity than like, you know, some schmuck in a lab. Totally. Um, yeah, uh, that's awesome. Good for him. Okay. Anyway, look like, so yeah, I think that there should be an incubate. like, you know, basically incubators are doing this. These two guys, uh, Trey and Max are doing it for beverage brands and they're doing it with celebrities and their manufacturing, so I think they have much higher margins. I'm surprised that Mary Berry isn't doing this, and I'm so, like, you know, maybe we should work with her on one of these things.
1: Yeah, let's go get Priyanka. Yeah,
0: uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on to uh, the oh, maybe the last subject for today, which is Honest Co. And the reason uh, I want to talk about Honest Co is twofold. One is, uh, you know, we talked about celebrity brands, And uh, Jessica Alba is obviously, you know, one of the earliest celebrity brands possible with this company called Honest. The other is the stock has been taking a real beating since they IPO'd, you know, they IPO'd at like a several billion dollar valuation. And now the business is worth $175 million. $175 million. And to be clear, they're doing about $300 million in revenue a year. So we're talking about less than 1x revenue.
1: Is that just because their their uh, business is very marketplace like and their margins are probably razor thin? Yeah, it's actually a function of their margins. The
0: reason, that, like you know, yeah, when uh, ASOP sold and we talked about this, uh, you know, on the last episode, and everyone's like, "This is a good comp for us. This is right. this is where the market is." I'm Thirty-three. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> co has three hundred million in sales and one hundred seventy-five million dollar valuation. Their valuation is. 0.5 revenue, Right. Uh, that, that is also a comp, just to be clear. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a good comp, but it's out there. Anyway, Honest Co. started a decade ago. So last year, they did $313 million in revenue, okay? Uh, let's say $300 million in revenue. It's down a little bit between 2022 and 2021 because they weren't in Costco uh, last year. On the $300 million in revenue, they lost about $22 million. Okay, so they lost... $22 million on $300 million in sales. And let me tell you a little bit about their business. Honest sells diapers. That's the majority of their business. Two-thirds of their business is diapers. About a third is skin and personal care, and they have a little bit called household wellness, which I'm not sure why they sell. Uh, anyway, that's, that's their divisions. Diapers, 65% of their business. Skin and personal care, 30% of their business. Household wellness, the rest of their business. of their sales are online. So about half their sales are online. Half their sales are in retail of the sales that are online. So 45% is online. 25% is honest.com. 20% is Amazon. They basically sell the same amount on honest. And like, you know, let's use round numbers here. They sell the same amount on honest.com as they do on Amazon. Uh, together they're about half the business. Uh, one third of the business is Target. And then the rest of it is, you know, a third of the business is everybody else. So targets the largest customer, 31% of sales are target, 25% of sales are honest.com, 20% of sales are amazon. You know, that's 70% of the business or so, that's the whole business right there. And so I was like, why is this business only worth $175 million? You have a $300 million business, $200 million in diaper sales a year and you're only worth $175 million. Yeah. And here is the problem. The answer is gross margins. Are you familiar with the term gross margins? No, explain it for me. Okay, your top line is how much your sales you have. Well, and let's say it's three hundred million dollars in sales here, minus the cost of those goods. So you got to like, like, you know, they sell diapers, and those diapers have to go in packaging, and those diapers have to get on a truck and be delivered to honest warehouse, and from honest warehouse to Target or to Amazon or to the end consumer, indirect consumer. So it's all, all of your expenses all of your product expenses. It does not include marketing expense. It does not include people expense. It does not include office space expense. It just includes like all of your fully baked in cost of goods sold, your product, your freight, all of that. Basically up until the 3PL where they pick and pack it. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Below that, which is people, which is marketing is not included inside gross margins. These motherfuckers' gross margins are so low, they should be in jail. Okay. I I, Honestly, that's the only thing I can think of. So they make $300 million. Their gross margin is 30%, which means it costs them 70% to make this stuff, put it in packaging, and get it to your door. Wow. For context, True Classic Tees was more than 55%. Ben on True Classic Tees last season told us that his gross margins are around 55% or just more than 55%. These guys is... 29%. 29%. It's 25% less than true classic tees. That is insane. And so there's no way you're ever going to be able to make money if for every dollar you
1: sell, you've spent 70 cents in costs. Uh, yeah, that is criminal. Also, I wonder why like they they have this same pairing ability of the high top of funnel And they should be matching that with mass distribution. Like, why aren't they just in Costco at this point? If their margins are so low, why don't they focus their margins on selling into big box and just going balls to the wall there? Great point. Uh, I'm not sure. I also don't understand why their margins are this low.
0: Because so what I did is I looked at Procter and Gamble. Procter and Gamble also sells diapers under the name Pampers. In fact, it's Procter and Gamble's largest business is Pampers. It's seven billion dollars a year, and I was like, okay, maybe uh, on it, like you know, everyone tells me, hey, Honestco sucks or Honestco is a bad business because the margins on diapers are really bad, and you know, looking at their numbers, that looks to make sense. Twenty nine percent gross margins on you know an entire business, and so think about it. Part of this business is a third of this business is skin and personal care, and on skin and personal care gross margins should be north of 50%. Yeah, they should be closer to like 80. Yeah. And native gross margins were way higher than 50%, especially if your business is primarily in brick and mortar stores, because then you're not paying for like shipping costs to a consumer. We're talking about just a freight truck to target. So a third of their business is skin and personal care where gross margins should be north of 50%. Their gross margins are, are blended or 29%, which is really bad. So I looked at P&G and I was like, okay, is it diapers? Are diapers a terrible category because they're so hard to make and so cheap? And so uh, P&G sells $7 billion of diapers a year, biggest category under Pampers, biggest brand is Pampers. They didn't break out gross margins, but they did break out EBITDA margins, which is net profit, which is after your marketing expense, after your personnel expense for their baby line. Okay, They said they had 21% in EBITDA margins. 21% 21% EBITDA margins, and we're talking about Honest having 29% gross margin. Yeah, that something's wrong. So these guys are spending too much on products sold, and I don't know why it's so expensive
1: for them, but that is fucking killing them. That doesn't make any sense. Also, I wonder why they don't ramp up the other side, which should have higher margin. So then I said, okay,
0: let's look at the cost of diapers per unit, okay? How much are they selling a diaper for versus Pampers? And versus Huggies, which are you know, the two other big guys in the space. So I looked on Amazon and a Pampers size 2 diaper in 186 bundle count, Pampers size 2 sells for 18 cents a diaper. Huggies in a similar count, 180 count, size 2 sells for 29 cents a diaper. So Pampers is 18 cents. Huggies is 29 cents. Honest Co. is 34
1: cents a diaper. So double the cost of a Pampers. And is that off their whole thing of oh we're better or we're safer for your kid. Is that the whole thing? But no more non-toxic ingredients. Yes.
0: Yes. That's that, that they command a price premium because they're saying, hey, look, we're uh, better for you. Oh look, this is a better for you product. You've got to pay more for a better for you product. We don't use chlorine to bleach our diapers white. We're like, you know, using higher quality pulp. There's another
1: brand called Coterie. Have you heard of this one? Yes. I used to see their Facebook ads all the time. Yeah, they charge 45 cents a diaper. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're like the Rolls Royce of type baby diapers. I think.
0: I think they're doing really well. I'm not. I think like I think uh, they are. Post COVID, things were got a lot tougher for them because I used to see their ads 40 times a day, and I'm like, I'm not even in the b- diaper business, uh, but this is there are a lot of ads here. Pampers is only 18 cents a diaper. I was thinking about buying some for myself. That's so cheap, so I don't have to get up <laughs> and just the bathroom. I, can like, I cannot right now. That. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Pampers is half the price and their margins are way, way better. And I don't understand how Honest Co's margins are this bad. There's a couple other things that I wanted to mention. So first, uh, they've got 200 employees. And then I was like, okay, what are some fun things? Like I wanted to get some, I I don't just want to shit on brands. So I was like, what are some fun things that you can learn about Honest? I've got three stories. First, Jessica Alba changed her name to Jessica Warren, because I think she's married to some guy whose last name is Warren. This is not a good idea. Like when I was a lawyer, I remember this one time where, uh, when you're a junior lawyer, you often have to prepare signature pages. So Nick, imagine if you've got to sign a hundred pages. Like you know, when you purchase Long Weekend, I bet you had to sign like ten different documents. Yep. When you're doing a big credit deal, uh, you know, you, somebody has to sign probably a hundred pages, a okay, hundred different documents, which is insane. So the junior most lawyer, which was me, would have to create a book of signature pages. So rather than you having to go through 100 documents and find the page to sign, I created one book where you could just sign, flip the page, sign, flip the page, sign, flip the page. Right. And I did this on a Friday. And on Monday, I I sent it to the woman who was supposed to sign it. And on Monday, she's like, hey, look, I got married over the weekend. All these signature pages are wrong because you have to update me. You have to use my maiden name and not my married name. And I was like... Bitch, I will make you a fucking widow today. Okay. If you make me redo this, you sign that shit right now. (laughs) I remember that woman. I was so upset. I was like, you didn't want to tell me this on Friday when I was spending first. This is going to cost you thousands of dollars because I'm an attorney billing it. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. It's going to take me so long to do this. And I got to change your fucking last name because we're going to get married this weekend. You didn't want to tell me that. (laughs) <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you know, I did the work, obviously, quietly with the pleasant Congratulations. Here's the other. Exactly. Well, that's what I had to do. But anyway, Jessica, War- uh, Jessica Alba changed her name to Jessica Warren. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And I think that's not good for the brand. I'm surprised that she did that because she's been Jessica Alba and married right. so long. Number two is uh, how much do you think they paid for the
1: Honest.com domain name? Oh, man. I remember hearing Soylent was 100 grand Honest. It's just uh, the word Honest.com. Honest.com. I would say probably at least 250K. $400,000.
0: Back in 2011 or 2012, they paid for this. Wow. So back when four hundred, dollars that was a lot That's money. crazy. Yeah. Today, that's like at least a million. Yeah. Okay. Then they just transitioned uh, CEOs, okay? Their old CEO left. They had to spend money for um, severance for legal fees related to the former CEO and recruiting fees for the new CEO. I don't know how you'd be able to guess this, but if you had to guess, how much do you think they spent on all of these CEO transitional expenses?
1: This happened probably in the last six months. Oh, 300 grand? $5.8 million. Holy smokes. What did that CEO get for a severance package? Unclear. I don't know. Uh, They just had one line item that said $5.8 million. I wonder what those legal expenses were. Yeah. I wonder what those legal expenses were too. Maybe it was changing a bunch of last names. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay,
0: here's some other dumb shit that they're going to do. Is there a chat function here? Okay, so first, I'm going I'm to start chatting you on here and figure out a way if we can upload these things. But take a look at this Dropbox, this photo that I sent you on this okay. link. So if you look at, like, Huggies, the, their title right here, right? It says, uh, for, for diapers, it says, baby diapers, size 2, 180 count. Huggies, little snugglers, 52.98. Now, if you look at the honest one, their title... It doesn't even say the fucking count. You know, I was like looking for it and I was like, how many diapers am I getting for $50.99? And I couldn't find it in the title. You got to click in. And I think this is a big mistake on their part because they're not making it clear how many diapers you're getting when you're purchasing something. Like, this is a well, imagine if I was buying Hint Water
1: and it's at $80. And I was like, is this one bottle or 800 bottles? Yeah, this is a huge thing I think a lot of brands don't emphasize is the title optimization in Amazon as well as the image optimization. If you look at the the one on top, it's very clear. You can see the 180. It looks like they don't really care to put the, the brand name because maybe it's assumed or maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't matter here, but they have little snugglers, gentle skin protection, which is like a big value prop. It's yeah. basically this real estate you get. And um, you know, they use this way better than Honest did. Honest yes. titles makes no sense. And I don't know why they didn't, you know, even their 152 number is very small in the image. Yes. And you're right. The Huggies guys did this so well with the
0: gentle skin protection being so large. They're like, we're gonna create a special image for the Amazon product image. On the honest one, like it says clean conscious diapers. It's small. I can't read what's below that. Like it's too small. Even clean conscious diapers, insanely small, hard to read. Yes, yes, and like you know, yeah, it's not done very well. Okay, I want you to go to their website. Here's the link to it. Okay, this is how you purchase diapers on their website. So if you click this link, you'll see it says diapers are twelve ninety nine, and you select a size and a print. How many diapers do you think you get for this twelve dollars and ninety nine cents? I want you to look for it on their website because you're, let's say, you're a mother thinking about buying these diapers. How many do you think you're going to get?
1: It's not even here. I don't see it anywhere. I see the print. I see the option to subscribe. Even in the description, it talks about planting seven thousand trees, which I couldn't give two fucks about. Yeah, I have no keep idea. Going down. You got to keep going down. Okay. It's a sustainable, but how? Then it goes to
0: quantity per pack. Oh. Do you see that? It's just so fucking on the size too. But, but, you know, it's, yeah, it is based on the size, but it's so fucking low. I was like spending 10 minutes and I was like, are these fucking people real that they didn't put the goddamn number of diapers I'm about to buy for $13 on here? Are they this stupid? Yeah, and the answer is nuts. they're even dumber because they put it all the way at the fucking bottom of the details. page. this is yeah. 25% of their revenue, nearly $100 million. And the quantity per pack is this low on the details page. Whoever is running this e-commerce site needs Could fired, get demoted. Yeah. Or get fired. them the fuck out of there. This is unbelievable. You know, I think about if Steve Jobs saw this, he'd be like, what the fuck is going on here? This is how you're optimizing for consumer experience. This guy's got to scroll all the way down to quantity per below our best diaper experience ever, below sustainable, but how to find out how many you get. The other problem I have with this is, okay, so you get 23 diapers. Guess what? People are ordering way more than 23 diapers. It's like four days of diapers. Yeah. Why are there not a bundle? Why can I not choose quantity of like, you know, 23, 50 100, 150, all at the top so that it's really easy to be like, give me more diapers.
1: I need some for a month, not for a fucking week over here, you know? There are so many things wrong with this. The fact that they have Klarna talking about four interest-free payments over $30 and the product is not even over $30. The fact that they don't have... Wow, there's so much wasted cool. space here too, between selecting size and the print. I mean, this is just... Such a poorly designed site. Even the add to bag CTA is like a magnitude below where you choose the one time or subscribe. There's so much wasted space here. This is this is a site worth getting fired over. I didn't
0: even think about the Klarna thing. Great point, and you're right. Like add to cart button should all like shouldn't be black on white with everything else being black on white. It should be orange or red or green. Yeah, you know, make it a color so it stands out. Hundred percent. I couldn't believe it when I was going through the site where I was like, how, like, I, I listed this stuff where I was like, fun stuff, paid 400K for domain, dumb shit they've done. Don't list quantity and product title like real losers and uh, diapers. You have no
1: fucking idea how many you're getting. It's insane. You know, the other thing that they miss that I think everybody can learn from modern day apparel brands is they completely miss the mom reviews on their product page. Like, there should be, if nothing else, It should just be stacked with videos of moms talking about why they love these diapers more than any other diapers. Any of their product marketing that they think is going to work will never work as well as moms talking about, you know, basically showing the social proof and talking about why they used honest diapers. And you know what you
0: should do is use the celebrity of Jessica Alba here, or Jessica Wern rather, for this. There should be a video where she's like, Hey, thank you so much for talking, for thinking about honest. I'm a mom. I created honest because I care about my kids in the same way that you care about your kids. Here's videos from a hundred other mothers talking about how much they love honest as well. I don't know why they're not doing this. That is a great point. Like, why do they not have video reviews and mom reviews all over the place here?
1: I would also imagine if I were to play devil's advocate, I bet the Salesforce Commerce Cloud CMS is insanely hard to mess with and insanely hard to move around or maneuver. And this is like a phenomenal example of why you should just process, you know, you should be Shopify Plus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Magento is the exact same way. It's nearly impossible to optimize. I mean, even here, right? You add one $12.99 count of diapers to your cart. You don't even get the suggestion in the cart to add another one or upgrade to a bundle. And then you go through this checkout process where it takes you four clicks to get your credit card info in. This whole site is so backwards and so fucked up. It's terrible. I couldn't agree more with what you just said. It's such a bad site. And you're right. This is a great opportunity for like
0: a shop if I check out. I know these guys have already like transitioned e commerce sites like three or four times. Whoever's doing that, fired. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing that if if I were them, so one is I'd fix this e commerce site, I'd fix the Amazon site. So they're like, you know, these are easy things to fix. Um, There's a couple other, like they had $10 million in hand sanitizer that I basically think they had to give away or throw in the garbage after like, you know, the COVID stuff because nobody was buying it any longer. They had uh, 12% of their revenue was warehouse costs in 2022, which I've got no fucking idea how high percent of revenue could be warehouse costs. That's absolutely high. The other thing I would do, and this is probably more controversial, is I would kill honest beauty right away. Like I would keep honest skincare. I'd be like, look, we make diapers baby care products, skincare products for babies and even like you know sunscreen and laundry detergent. I would do all of those things, but nobody's like, you know what? Uh, I want to buy honest serums and masks and mists and, and eye creams. Like it's just too many SKUs. They've gotten into too many SKUs and they need to reduce their SKU count and like, you know, uh skin and personal care only makes up 29% of their business. That beauty part is within skin and personal care. It's just too many SKUs. I'd be like, we need to rationalize the SKU count. We need to be a we need to be a basics company. We need to be diapers, personal care products like uh, you know uh, for babies, like moisturizers and baby wipes, and all those types of things. And we can do laundry detergent and sunscreen. We do not need a daily green juice antioxidant super serum. Like that's
1: just not going to sell with honest. Another thing here is they, um, you know, their subscription on the diapers is only offers five percent, which I think is either I think it's lower than Amazon's subscription discount. That's crazy! Oh my god, do they really only offer five somebody? Six, you know what? You know what their problem probably is. Aren't they based in LA? They're probably all high as shit in the office, <laughs> and they just don't think about any of this. Two hundred employees, forty six thousand square foot office. Yikes! They probably signed that office space a long time ago oh. while they were high.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I love Honest, and the reason I bring this up is because I'm like, look, even these big brands are doing so many things that could be so much better. Like these guys got into. They made the classic mistakes. Way too many SKUs. Yeah. Honest beauty, you got to kill today. They're an honest baby clothing. They have baby clothing. And they start like, you know, two years ago, they were licensing their name so somebody else could make their baby clothing. Now they're doing it themselves. They're making their own baby clothing and selling it themselves. You know, you can't be in baby clothing, diapers, green antioxidant serums, sunscreen, laundry detergent, too many SKUs. Too many SKUs, not enough optimization in the clear parts of their Amazon and direct to consumer business, which make up half their business, and terrible gross margins. Like someone needs to come in and say, we need to figure out how to get these margins much, much better. We're spending too much on something such that we only, for every dollar we get in revenue, 70 cents is the cost of
1: goods sold. Like that is not a sustainable strategy in CPG. Last week we talked about the brands like Aesop. Yeah. that get traded on the brand name, the future potential of the brand name, this is a very ripe opportunity for somebody to come in like Ari Gold with a paintball gun and just clean this thing and, you know, build it on the brand name of Honest. I couldn't agree more. And like, you know, get rid of a ton, like not a ton of headcount,
0: but get rid of Honest clothing, Honest skin. Care. Take, like, you know, the public markets will make it really tough for you to take a dive when it comes to top line. They'll be like, you went from 300 million to 200 million. This brand is dead. But if you take it off of the public markets, you can say, I'm going to kill honest clothing. I'm going to kill honest beauty. I'm going to kill honest bedding. What the fuck am I in bedding for? All I'm going to do is focus on diapers, baby goods, some skincare products, and some laundry detergent and sunscreen, Like basically fundamental products that people
1: use every day. High margin. Yeah, exactly. High margin, routine, and easy to sell. That's exactly
0: right. And so I think there's a ton of opportunity for someone to buy this brand and do it. And, you know, there's a tiny chance I want that to be. Totally. Okay. I think that's all we got for episode two. Episode three, we got to get to a bunch of stuff we talked about. We got to talk about attentive versus postscript. Uh, we got to talk about clavio stuff. We got to talk about offshoring employees. Because I think you, you were talking about that. And that's so important. Like, how much should you pay a customer service employee in the Philippines? How do you vet them? Are they going to steal all of your information? Are they going to be good? Are they, I think it's so important. So excited about episode three. Awesome. We'll see you there. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next
1: time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.